Blowers out there, this is N64 Life with myself, Cliff Foster, aka the amazing Cliff, on the old Twitter, your guide to the greatest computer game console of all time, the Nintendo 64. Yes, ladies and gents, as irritating as a cerebral bore to the head, that's me, and I'm back, episode number two. Um, and I just want to say a couple check-ins and a couple thank-yous, actually, before we start. Firstly, with a couple of people that really supported the channel, and that is Under Consultation. I've mentioned them before, but episode-by-episode episode guide of the greatest computer games TV show, challenge TV show of all time. That was Games Master in the 90s. Go and give them a follow. Um, if you want to go and find them on Twitter, it's at underconsolepod. Um, also, another one is a fellow N64 lover, um, and that is now and then 64. So make sure you go and give him a follow as well, because he's a fellow Hampshire boy. Um, he's over in uh, in Birmingham Way, I believe. Um, but he's a Twitch streamer, and he's currently doing... Uh, he did Carmageddon last night, which, uh, yeah, I feel your pain, my friend. I feel your pain. Um, but no, incredible Twitch streamer. And we're going on to my trips, Twitch streams in a minute. But, it, I mean, his, his Twitch stream is so engaging. I mean, he's got things of ways getting subscribers involved. If you're a weekly or monthly subscriber, you get to choose what game he's going to play next week on the Tuesday. He's got regular shows on Friday, Saturday, Sundays. Um, he has little theme tunes for his regular fans and listeners and followers. Um, I mean, there's so many little bits that I could learn from him through Twitch because I really don't get Twitch. And how did my Twitch challenge go? I hear you cry. Let me take a drink before I do this. Um, well, I didn't, I didn't get there. I got to Venom. Uh, so obviously, if you didn't know already that my Twitch stream challenge this week was that I had to complete, and that was mission accomplish everything, because I said mission complete on the last podcast, sorry. Mission accomplish absolutely everything without losing a life on Lilac Wars or Star Fox 64, depending where in the world you are. Um, yeah, I got all the way to Venom, faced off against uh, t- uh, Star Wolf, and uh, yeah, for some reason... I wasn't just doing somersaults. I was, yeah, I was decided to keep turning around and I got absolutely mullered and I'm not slippy before I got there. So, oh, it's a bit depressing. But hey-ho, live and learn, don't we? Um, If you didn't know already, this week's Twitch stream, obviously it's Halloween, so there's nothing more scary than a super scary challenge. And that challenge is... Yeah, I've got to complete or just get as far as I can on Mission Impossible. Thanks, Dan Mattingly. Got a thumbs up. You can't see it. Um, But lastly, um, yeah, so please make sure you go and check out the Twitch channel. I am still learning, so any advice given 
will be much appreciated. Um, if you're looking at, uh, yeah, the podcasts going forward. So we've got today, GoldenEye versus Turok 2, Seeds of Evil for Battle for Jinjos. And then next week, we are going to mix it up. No Battle for Jinjos next week. Next week is going to be something a bit different. And obviously, not every episode is going to be Battle for Jinjos. I'm going to have my first guest, and we're going to be discussing... Oh, you're going to have to wait until the end of the podcast. I'll let you know then. So let's get into this. Who's going to win? Goldeneye or Turok 2? Seeds of Evil. So, if this is the first time you're listening to the N64 Life podcast, um, let's go through the rules of Battle for Jinjos. So, there's five Jinjos, like in Banjo-Kazooie, five Jinjos on the line. You have Jinjo number one, that is going to be storyline. Jinjo number two, gameplay. Jinjo number three, sounds and graphics. Um, and Jinjo number four is critic score. But the most important one out of them all is what do you guys think? So obviously last week, if you haven't if you haven't listened already, go and listen back to uh, Mario Kart versus Diddy Kong Racing. Um, a surprise winner. However, it was a lovely journey, as I said, that I got to play on a game that I have been shooting down for absolute years. But I, I, I've been playing it since which is good. Um, but this week has been mainly taken up by Lilac Wars, a little bit of Banjo-Kazooie, but mainly going back and playing Turok, playing Goldeneye on their single-player campaigns. And this is what this is based off of, the single-player campaigns. So let's go into that first Jinjo, and that is Storyline. So let's start with Goldeneye. We, some of you might already know the story of GoldenEye because, as we know, it was a movie. It was a movie that came out almost two years before the game because this game was in development and went through, you know, we'll go into the story of development of computer games. That is something that's coming. But this game went from a 2D platformer to a complete immersive 3D experience. And for Rare to do this, this was a massive gamble. Um, And as I said, it did go through a bit of development hell. And as I said, we will go through those later on. But let's go through the storyline of GoldenEye. So it starts off with the first three levels. And that is... Damn! Facility and Runway. I really struggle saying that without sounding like Jonathan Ross. And that is when, obviously, Alec Trevelyan. Yes, Mr. I've got a number one less than uh, Bond complex. 006 and 007 himself go and investigate this facility uh, in the US SSR. You don't know how lucky you are, boys. Back in the US... Back in the US, back in that USSR. 
Um, so they go and investigate this facility, and in that time being, that Alec gets shot and killed by Colonel Oromov. He's not a general yet. He's only Colonel Oromov. He's only allowed to look after this one facility rather than the whole army at this point. And God knows how this man gets promoted because after Alec gets shot, Bond decides in true Bond fashion, as we'll learn on this lovely journey of this story, he blows absolutely everything to bits. And then we come to a uh, we come to five years later after those uh, two first two levels, and that is where we go to surface. Um, so five years later, 1991, Bond is sent to investigate a base in Sevenaya. So seeds, you know, a little bit of backstory that we don't get in the Golden Eye movies, planting those seeds of future levels, and really giving that insecurity of thinking you know those levels as well. Um, and then, a couple of years later, he sent yet again to Russia because, God damn it, it's the 90s. Uh, he sent again to go and investigate a uh, missile silo that may well have some naughty stuff in it, including this future, future machine that this this satellite in the sky that's going to cause all these problems the name of the game goldeneye um then we come up to the movies so we have now bang smack in our timeline this is now sticking to that movie and he's he's sent to monte carlo to investigate the frigate la fascetta yeah I'm, i'm going for that la fascetta yeah french nailed it um first of all you do think to yourself hang on a minute is this not a breach of all sorts of ally not spying on allies you know going to monte carlo uh so monaco and you know spying on your allies uh you'd think that to begin with however on this ship there's loads of people that's been captured and you gotta go save them Ah! yeah uh, let's make it sound more dramatic than it is and in fact what bond does is he does what he does best goes and shoots down everything blows up everything and uh, goes rescues those hostages sets a tracker on this this helicopter that just coincidentally is stolen by the yanis crime syndicate yes all Bond movies, all Bond games need a big bad company or organisation or terrorist group that you have to take down. The only syndicate I've ever been a part of was I used to do lottery in a big group at work. Um, don't think the Annis Crime Syndicate do a lotter- lottery. Uh, they might do. They might do. You have to stick by certain rules with those syndicates. <sighs> yeah, yeah, you have to. If not, if not, the, the Camelot on paying out your money. They're not paying out your money. Maybe they do have a lottery syndicate as part of that syndicate. This isn't made clear. I don't know why, but it's just not made clear if they are all part of a lottery syndicate as well. But obviously after doing this, Bond is sent back to Sevenaya. So we go back to uh, Surface uh, 2 and Bunker 2. Original names. But as I said, it gives you that sense of insecurity. And we can go through that bit, that bit more of that in the gameplay. He's sent there and conveniently captured like Bond does, and he's put in a cell next to Natalia Simonov, who, who, who didn't want to be part and work alongside the Anna Syndicate, didn't want to give her pound a week to join their lottery I don't think it's that sort of syndicate. Anyway, so th- at that point, they 
and manage to escape and they get out just in time before General Oromov. Yeah, he got he got promoted. That man got a whole base blown up and somehow has got promoted. You know, capitalism for the win. Maybe he got promoted before that, but we're just going to say it's all due to capitalism. Go, go money. Whoop, whoop. Um, but it, so the whole base, the whole area gets blown up by the uh, GoldenEye satellite um, as it sort of diverts slightly from the movie at that point. Um, obviously, you know, you want to make it so it's a better gameplay experience rather than, you know, you watching a lot of cutscenes. And that actually works better for GoldenEye at that point. So at that point, we travel to St. Petersburg and Bond goes around a lovely statue graveyard. Conveniently, the level's called Statue, um, where um, he goes and meets up with his old friend. We say friend, he shot him in the leg and he's an uh, old enemy, really. He's more of a, what, what are they called? Um, a nemesis, a nemesis. He's more of a nemesis of Bond and that is Mr. Valentin Savrosky. Sukoski. Sukoski. We're going to go with Sukoski. So many Russian names. This was a really bad one to start saying names. And we haven't even gone into space yet. Um, <laughs> so he goes and uh, arranges with his good old buddy, Valentine, uh, Valentine to go and uh, arrange a meeting with the leader of the lottery syndicate itself uh yanis and he finds out that it's his mate you know his mate is is alex he didn't die he didn't die ladies and gents it was he was alive all the time oh shock uh <laughs> sean bean didn't die i think that's the first time ever might be changed later on um so yeah so he finds out it is 006 himself uh one number less complex um and he uh he, they managed to escape him and natalia and managed to escape the uh, uh the statue graveyard and uh, are captured by the russian forces where they're taken in to the next level, which is Archive, where they're interrogated by Defence Minister Dmitry Mitchkin. And he, he interrogates them, and yeah, and then he gets shot and is killed. Again, another person dead at the hands of the evil general. Shouldn't have ever been promoted because he blew up a whole... It had a whole facility blown up, uh, Oromov. And they're able to escape, and but... Natalia gets captured by Mr. Oronov, Oromov because we're going to demote him. We're just going to take away all his ranks. We're going to say he's just now Mr. Oromov. Uh, he gets captured and sent on a train, and we have to battle our way through St. Petersburg in a tank. Yes. Tank, ladies and gentlemen. And, uh, yeah, so we obviously Bond has to battle through St. Petersburg in a streets that seem to just have soldiers on, no civilians, which is pretty handy. Uh, battle, go and find the train in the depot, and then we get on the train itself, where Bond finds Natalia, where he kills Oromov, uh, but Trevelyan and his uh, his uh, psychic on the top. <laughs> Zeno on the top. Ah, uh, Bond, Bond jokes. Gotta love them. 
It's not really even a diamondism. I'm not even gonna give that a diamondism. It, it's not. It's just Bond, isn't it? It's just a bit simple. Quite like me. Um, so yeah. So then, obviously, uh, they escape and go to Cuba. And, uh, yeah, in this time, we have to get ourselves to Cuba, get shot down, end up in a, ju- a jungle uh, where uh, Bond kills off Zeno uh, on, uh, on the top. <laughs> on the top. Um, and then we end up going into the facility, cracking the codes. Uh, yeah, Boris is there. He's invincible, don't you know? Um, and then eventually getting up onto the satellite itself and, yeah, killing Trevelyan. And then Bond smooches off into the sunset with Natalia. That, that's the story. If you didn't know it already, one, where were you in the 90s? Uh, you should have at least seen the movie or played this game. Um, the, the word iconic is going to come up a lot again. Um, however, let's go on to a bit of a trickier story and a bit of an original story. For 2 Rock 2, Seeds of Evil. So we go to the far reaches of space. Where a lovely, lovely, typically uh, 90s (laughs) female... uh, (laughs) That's what I'm going to say. A blue female alien called uh, Adon summons a new Turok. Now, I'll start with, I did not know there was a new Turok every game. (laughs) That missed me completely. But she summons the new Turok, which is Joshua Fireseed. um, uh, Well, she's called them on behalf of the Elders of the Lost Time. I don't know why. For some reason, she had to be the one that summoned that. Why couldn't they have done it? Why did they have to use the typically female alien character for a 90s period sticking with it sticking with it um but your your mission is is to defeat the primogen a powerful alien entity that was imprisoned in the wreckage of his own lightship after attempting to witness the creation of the universe Hang on a minute. He was only attempting to witness it. Come on, that can't be that bad, surely? He just wanted to see it happen. I feel bad for him now. The big moth, mothy, xenomorphy, yeah, thing. We'll come on to him later in the gameplay, shall we? Anyway, uh... This evidence led to the creation of the Lost Land, a bizarre and barbarian world where time has no meaning. Uh, quite like 2020, really, isn't it? Yeah, we are in the Lost Land. Uh, awakened by events of, of Dinosaur Hunter, so the first game. So I don't know why the original Turok couldn't sort this out. This way you all tell me he died? I never played the original. Um, maybe that's one to buy for the uh, library. Um, so yeah, because of the because of what happens uh, in Turok Dinosaur Hunter, the Primogen mobilizes several races of pri- primitive creatures from the Lost Land to destroy five energy totems, uh, powerful devices that bound the Primogen to his lightship. The destruction of these energy totems would allow the Primogen to escape the confines of his lightship. And the resulting shockwave would destroy the known universe. Yep, 
Ladies and gentlemen, another baddie who just wants to destroy the universe, but that doesn't quite understand where's he gonna bloody live if you destroy the known universe? Dopey Primogen. So, uh, as Joshua defeats the Primogen armies through the Lost Land and acquires ancient magical powers from the sacred talis- talisman chambers, a mysterious entity calls itself Oblivion, attempts to twat, twat, not twat, that sounds like twat. Um, what? Oh, I bleeped myself already. Uh, so, what his quest by creating false copies of the talisman chamber portals that lead to areas populated by his servants, the flesh eaters. Ultimately, Joshua manages to reach the Primogen lightship and defeat the Primogen himself. If the energy towers are not protected, traces of his telepathic powers will remain at the end of the game. Adon states that the mysterious force which conspired against Joshua during his quest still exists, setting the stage for the sequel to Up Free Shadow of Oblivion. Now, if we're looking at storyline, obviously there is a point to be made because with GoldenEye, even though it did divert slightly from the movie um, to make it more, you know, more gameplay, which, as I said, I liked. I liked the fact that, you know, you got to go to the uh, surface and bunker twice in the game um, and obviously added extra bits in there like Depot, um, the caverns, you know, it really did really adds those little bit of extras that the movie didn't have even though that was awesome the jinjo has to go for this one to turok 2 seeds of evil and the main reason behind this is it's an original storyline um don't get me wrong both storylines are great um you know if you're looking at generally both on a bit of paper both storylines are great but because of the pure fact of that it is an original storyline rather than one based off a movie IP, which, yet again, incredible work to get that to work after almost two years, it has to go to Turok 2. So let's go on to the next Jinjo, and that is Gameplay. It's gameplay time, ladies and gents. And as I said on the last podcast, to me, this is the most important out of these Jinjos because this is what gets you to come back to a game time after time. And in fact, what we saw last time, even though it wasn't the eventual winner, definitely that gameplay element went to Mario Kart 64. So how's this going to work out? Because... I can tell you now, when we come to <laughs> critic score and possibly your score, um, it is very one-sided. But which is the best gameplay? Will it be the obvious choice? So we're going to start with the obvious choice, GoldenEye. Now, 
The mission is, as I said before, we've gone through the maps. It's to complete the 18 missions, and you do get two bonus missions as well uh, that are unlockable. So you do get Aztec, um, which is based off of Moonraker, um, which sees you go against Jaws um, and get that amazing, iconic Moonraker laser. The next one is based off of the Spy Who Loved Me, and that is Egyptian, uh, where you face off against Baron Samity. Now... Don't get me wrong, I might be completely wrong with this, but wasn't Baron Samadhi a um, living let die baddie? Or did he appear in Spy Who Loved Me? This is where people come and correct me. I don't know. I don't know. But either way, there is one uh, inconsistency, and that is that you get to handle that famous, iconic golden gun, which obviously was uh, appeared in Man of the Golden Gun and was the famous weapon of Scaramanga. Um, so, yeah, that is definitely out of place. But still, they're enjoyable, unlockable lesson, uh, le levels, and that is that comeback ability that uh, any game has on a single-player campaign, and that is that that mission to get to those bits and pieces that you can unlock and some of those things that you can unlock are the the um the cheat modes or the enhanced gameplay modes some of them definitely are um some of them are obviously cheats like multiple weapons unlimited ammo but dk mode dk mode it's a donkey kong mode that we say it again iconic to have long gangly arms and a massive head brilliant because obviously we knew at that time Rare owns the IP for Donkey Kong. We've already gone through that. As I said, we will come on to visit more of these stories behind these developers and some of these games uh, that went through development hell or or heaven. We, we don't know. Um, so you also had like paintball modes, which to me was a very sort of one of those memories that stuck with me for ages. So, But each of these levels is really fun. And has character. And in fact, if you go back and watch the movie, those those levels themselves are just... They, they look like the movies. They do. It rooms off of them. I mean, the facility, you know. I remember watching that back and going, God, it feels like I'm part of the movie. And I think that's, you know, the overalling arc of the gameplay is that you do feel like you are part of a James Bond movie. Um, even though, you know, there are differences. Obviously, we're in 64-bit era um, between that and the movie. But I, I, it makes you feel a part of it. So you also get the four difficulty settings as well. Yet again, that comeback ability um, with uh, obviously agent, uh, secret agent, double O agent, and then double O seven modes. Now, each of those modes makes the AI smarter so they can uh, target better. They've got more health. They You've got less health and get killed a lot easier. Um, yet again, you know, that's that's one of the things that makes James Bond so great is the the visual how how lifelike these uh these boss these baddies are and we will go into that in a moment when we come on to graphics and sound so controls controls are slick and i mean slick even if you haven't got auto aim on they are slick however if you weren't at that time you know au fait with the pc games out there you had that auto that auto you know aim on so you know 12 year old cliff getting it as his his joint um bundle offer with his nintendo 64 
he loved this you know it was my first 3d shooter um that i owned because obviously before that i owned a mega drive um so it 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 was yeah it was lovely because i remember going over friends houses and playing doom and quake um and uh, to me it wasn't as accessible as let's say goldeneye would be goldeneye didn't treat you like an idiot if you didn't quite get it um and i think that's what made people come back to it and it was a real trendsetter you'd look at let's say modern day shooters that top button aim which another game we go on to next doesn't have you know that has stuck things like that have stuck that you can stop and aim it makes it a more enjoyable um experience in the way of gameplay and as i said it was a trendsetter you can't put it past geld and i you know those traits still to this day are parts of some of the big games out there if Activision didn't have GoldenEye, <laughs> would they be as big? Would those model Medal of Honor games come before? You know, they were the natural success to this. Obviously, the the actual sequel to GoldenEye, uh, the actual proper sequel, we will go into other forms of GoldenEye later, but the actual sequel, which was Perfect Dark, you know, took that and took that further. Um, th- also, what makes GoldenEye great are the quirks. I mean, like, the little quirks and the originality. So in the way of, we will come on to weapons in a minute, but being able to shoot through walls, doors, um, that was great. To the point of that you could run up, shoot a scientist in a hand, um, and then he will start lugging grenades at you. Um, to the point of that you could shoot doctor, uh, so scientists again in the foot, and they will pull out a uh, pistol on you. Um, it, it, the DD foot... Uh, uh, the dd44 you know it, it made that little quirks the tank obviously as well you know it made that console experience of a shoot 'em up and actually took it to that next level and the thing is is that we say he takes it to the next level they as i said before bond blows everything up and i mean everything blows up in this so we're going to have a conversation of how the flipping hell does a chair blow up as dramatically as that? I mean, the chairs blow up. What are they putting in the chest? I'm sat in a lovely chair now. Nice, comfy. However, it hasn't got a C4 explosive on it. Why does it have to blow up like that? Rare, you, you, they had tables. Tables didn't blow up. Actually, there might have been a small explosion on the tables. Oh, was there a small explosion on the tables? This is where you shouted at me, Cliff. Yes, there was, although there wasn't. Let's just say there was. Let's just say there was. They're just just wanting to blow absolutely everything up. Um, but the overall anarchy in this is that this game makes you feel like Bond. It makes you feel like Bond. There's there's no other way around it. I don't think there have been obviously other James Bond games that have come out and been very successful, um, but this was the first time you could really play a movie tying game and feel like you were part of that movie. I I put it out there. If you can remember a game before this that made you feel like that you were part of that movie franchise, let me know, because I cannot think of one. So we come on to Turok 2. Now, Turok 2, we'll go into the differences in a minute, but the major difference is that you are... There's only six levels to this, but they are huge and immersive and sometimes confusing. 
So we've got the port of uh, Adia, uh, Adia. Uh, we've got the slaughter of the uh, slaughter by the river souls, uh, which does sound like an Agatha Christie novel. You've got the death marshes, the lair of the blind ones, hive of the mantids, and the final level, level, the most important, the primogen's lightship. Now, I love these get levels, how they seem to get darker in feel and go away from, you know, that Turok dinosaur hunter. As I said, I've never owned the game. I have played the game, though. However, uh, my friend Will used to own it. Hi, Will. Um, so, I d- obviously, I had played the game before. But it, it very much went away from that and something that much darker. Um, and each level, as I said, is an open world. But it's fair to say you can get lost so so easy and i mean so so easy coming back and playing this this week it it seemed to be that i could get all the way to the end of a level and then go ah i have forgotten something and then have to go through that level to at one point almost the start of the level to go ah i missed this in your missions um so yeah, you can. It, it can be a bit, even though they are amazing open worlds. There's sometimes that element of that it does treat you a bit like an idiot. But thankfully, and I mean thankfully, with this game, unlike Goldeneye, it works better with lives, and you do get lives because with Goldeneye, if you try and walk off an edge, you're not going off that edge. With Turok, you run around a corner too quickly. Oh no, Turok, Turok's full, he's, he's dead. Back to the next checkpoint. And I think that does, you know, it works better on that checkpoint element. So when we're talking about gameplay with Turok 2, the major thing that's going to come up is the controls. Now you can change this to more of a traditional GoldenEye uh, control of the pad. However, this game itself, you know, it's... The controls are clunky and can be very annoying to aim that you've got to deal with one dot. Now, there isn't an element that you can hold one button down and then zoom in. This is clunky, 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 move your camera angle around a lot. And it can turn a bit into a hit and hope. Now, one thing it does have over Goldeneye is you have got that element to jump. So you can keep hopping around. Even though you are hitting for hope, you can avoid baddies a lot better and those baddies are actually more diverse than if you look at goldeneye so the baddies you get you're coming across dino hybrids uh compies uh you know the little little ones from lost world uh so you know there's no there's no beef sandwich in this so you can't you can't put them off with a beef sandwich unfortunately uh not liking lost world that poor girl anyway um, and then, you know, the sort of more spacey elements of things from, uh, you know, bug bug warriors to space wasps. You know, you go onto that more element at the end to leeches to big boss battles. Now, this is something that holds out compared to Goldeneye, that you can face it. Well, you will face off against boss battles and battles, you know, sort of an overall protect the uh, protect the totems from hordes of bad you know hordes of baddies but there are four brilliant boss battles i mean four brilliant boss battles so you've got the first one which is 
the the eye in the sky, eh? Get with me there. Where he he hits you with his tentacles and leeches seem to just come out the pit for no reason whatsoever. But that's the blind one. You know, the, the great thing, you know, shooting, be having to worry about what's happening to the side, on the floor, up in the air. Maybe with a better control system, that would be more enjoyable. But it is still great. And then you've got the Scorpion King, or Queen at this point, And that's uh, the uh, Mantid Queen, um, who, who who's a great, yet again, another great boss. And sort of that prelude to uh, the Primogen right at the end. Um, it's almost like your test primogen. Then we have the angry vine-wielding blob. That is your mother. No, sorry, mother. Mother. We're not going down your mum jokes on this channel. Yeah. Probably. Um, yeah, so mother. Another great boss as well. Um, and then the reason why you flinch when a wasp cut enters the room. And that's the primogen himself, which is a test. And I mean, on any difficulty level, the primogen at the end is a proper test. And that's what you want from a computer game. You want something that you're going to come back to time and time again. But it's, 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 it, it. It's one of those fist bump moments, as we keep coming to with retro consoles, is that you get more of these fist bump moments. And I tell you what, every single one of these bosses, you're going to get that fist pump moment of, ugh, I've done it. Don't have to do that again on this run. <laughs> so we come on to the quirks of this uh, game. And then, you know, you've got the riding of the Triceratops. So we, we have tanks in GoldenEye. Obviously, this was released slightly later than GoldenEye. So this game was released uh, in Europe on the uh, 18th of the 12th, 1998. So it it had some time over, you know, uh, GoldenEye. And we'll really go into the graphics, how it tried to use that. Um, But you've got that element of that tank, that Triceratops, right in the back of that Triceratops. Um, to the element of the gore in it, and we'll come a bit more into this with the graphics as well, the gore element. Some of these weapons were incredible, and that way it comes down to the quirks. Originality, and there is a real originality in some of these weapons, even if that is just a bow and arrow. So let's go onto some of these weapons from the games. So let's start off with Goldeneye, because Goldeneye has that more classic... uh, Obviously, we've got some quirky bits in there, but it's more of a classic uh, sort of shoot-em-up way of fighting. And first of all, we come to -to hand-to-hand combat, because, my God, don't I love a judo chop. Judo chop! Yes, it is a a karate chop. There's no other way of putting it. Bond, you can run around as Bond... Just hiya in everybody. Um, <laughs> it's literally there's a mode in it called Slapsy's mode on the multiplayer. We're not going into the multiplayer here. However, that is brilliant. Just going around, just judo chop, judo chop to absolutely everybody. It's entertaining. It's funny. Um, to knives, you're getting the knives in there as well. You've got the hunting knife. Um, and the throwing knife, um, hunting knives. I can't ever remember the hunting knives, if I'm right, being part, apart from if you unlock them as one of the quirks. But the hunting knives are really entertaining as well. Uh, throwing knives, obviously, you can get the throwing knives in standard game. Um, 
impossible it's one of the most annoying things to aim but if you if you crack that god you 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 feel like you've achieved something <laughs> um and then we've got pistols so you've got the pp7 because obviously ppk i don't understand that how do you get the rights to 007 james bond but not be able to call the gun a ppk is it a real gun this is where people that maybe are into airsofting can help me with this one i th- i would assume it's a real gun because obviously you can't use ppk because yeah i don't know do you need license to say a gun i suppose so um so yeah pp7 uh special edition or uh, special issue um you've also got in there um uh, silence mode for that gun as well as the dd uh, the dd44 uh which is a powerful uh standard that's a, that's a good sort of standard gun to keep coming back to loud as hell um in the pistols as well we got our first special pistol which obviously is the golden gun as well as having the option to or the capabilities of unlocking a silver and a gold pp7 as well so you also have in there in the way of pistols a revolver so you have a magnum which is awesome yeah again you can call it a Magnum, but you can't call it a PPK. You know, if you're a gun specialist, you'll more likely know more of this about the, than me. The most useless game in the game, <laughs> the gun in the game, and that is the machine pistol itself, the club. Which, to be honest, it's better just to run around slapping people. That that club ain't doing much. Um, submachine guns. You had the ZMG nine millimeter. You had the uh, D5K uh, Deutsch Phantom, which was yeah, yeah. Again, that was a good stable gun to have in your arsenal, and you were actually able to put a silencer on that one as well. And then you had, in my opinion, the best gun in the game, and that was the RCP ninety. Ah. Oh. Oh, just when you came across over, came across that in the train, that was a game changer. And yet again, that quirk of being able to shoot through doors, that comes to its, it flowers on train. <laughs> it is beautiful. Being able to shoot through walls and doors, that gun is just perfection in a computer game. It really is. It's simple, but for some reason the sound is satisfying the area that the capability of being able to shoot through doors and walls just everything behind that gun it's still to this day one of my favorite weapons in any computer game there is another one on this list but not for this game we'll be coming onto that in a minute obviously then you had for assault rifles you had the kf7 soviets uh the us ar 33 assault rifle um, which was, yeah, that more army one. But it was a bit weird. It seems to be held up with one hand, both of those assault rifles. How you're holding it in the game, the only criticism that I would have, is you seem to be walking around with it, and you do get shown walking around with it with just one hand. The, yeah, that's a good way to break your arm. You did have a sniper rifle that always reminded me as a kid. Now, <laughs> I might get shot down for this. Did anyone else think that the Goldeneye sniper rifle looked like a super soaker? C- come on, there must be so many else out there. It looked like a super soaker to me. I don't know why. Um, I just have this this memory of thinking that they looked like a super soaker. And then you had the energy weapons. And that is the one of my favorite weapons in the whole entire game. And that is the Moonraker laser. 
um, which you can only get um, unless you get the uh, unlock for it. Uh, you can only get that on uh, Aztec. Um, as well as having the watch watch laser, which, do you know what? That should have just been standard issue. Every level should have had that watch la laser element. And by jingo, give me more, give me more bloody ammo for that thing. And then we had a taser. Now, for the life of me, I can't remember the taser. Is that a thing? It says it's on a list that I seem to have... Uh, uh, were quite acquired from um where was the taser please send me a photo of the taser because I'll, I'll be searching it in a moment but i can't remember the taser to life for life me then you have bliss uh, ballistic explosives so you had the grenade launcher which was satisfying oh that that grenade launcher oh oh love that thing uh, and the rocket launcher oh love that rocket launcher as well as the mines with the mines with the timed mines, the proximity mines, which proximity mines. If we go into multiplayer ever, best way of <laughs> off your friends, um, and then the remote mines as well. Which actually, as a kid, that was really satisfying as well. That facility level where you had to put your mines on the ear bombs themselves, and blow them up. Really satisfying moment in gaming. Now, we come on to the list of games for Turok 2 Seeds of Evil. And to say that we have a mixture of weapons that you could easily see in a GoldenEye game to something that you could see easily in a Doom game, it goes the full distance. Because we, we've got things like the Assault Rifle, the bow. It's brilliant. The bow is brilliant. It, yet again, a bit difficult to control. But the bow is awesome because you can go back and collect those arrows as long as you haven't shot it somewhere that you can't find and come and collect those. You've got the uh, charged dart rifle. You've got the crossbow. You've got the, uh, the a flare gun. You've got grenade launchers. You've got harpoon gun. You've got the mag 60. You've got, you, you've got pistols. You've got plasma rifles. Plasma rifle, so, your solid gun. Your solid gun. Uh, yeah, that's the one that you use it every time. You've got um, things like shotguns. You've got talons that you can rip people to shreds with. You've got your war blades, your tranquilizer guns, your torpedo launchers. However, then you get the fun stuff. <laughs> the fun stuff. Now, this is the one thing I would say with Goldeneye. This is what is missing in the way of weapons. That is something that makes you smile when you use it. It makes you smile. And the first one has to be the flamethrower. The flamethrower, you can come back to that time and time. I mean, there's something very satisfying of pretending you're an armed veteran. Um, <laughs> you know, you weren't there, man. You weren't there, man. You don't understand. And actually, as a consistent weapon in a game... You only really saw that later on with the Call of Duty games when flamethrowers were great. I think you've got them in Unreal Tournament games as well, the multiplayer element. But on a single-player element, to have a flamethrower was incredible. Now, the other incredible one that just blew your mind away, literally, was the nuke. Now, the nuke, you had to go and collect all the parts for the nuke, but it's worth it. Getting that nuke is just brilliant. I mean, 
when you're facing, especially a guy off against the Primogen, when he goes off to his control center, if you haven't got the nuke, it is pretty tricky. And then you've got things like the Razor Wind. The Razor Wind, throwing that through the sky, you know, through the air, at an enemy. I mean, it's just a blade on a massive circle. Wow, just brilliant. And then you've got things like the ride, riding gun. You know, you've got the um, you've got the scorpion launchers. You've got the t as I said already, the talons, the the war blades. You've got all these fun, fun weapons. However, nothing is more fun than the cerebral bore. Now, if you want me to go through, because I'm I'm happy to. I, I can see some of you saying yes. I see some of you saying no. But I'm going to go through what the Cerebral Bore is. So it's based off of the Talisman's um, uh, weapons in the 1979 movie Phantasm. And, I mean, this thing is golden. Golden. It's one of those moments you remember as a 12-year-old, a 13, 14, 15, as a teenager. It's one of those gaming iconic moments. When you fired your first cerebral bore at an enemy, the little the little ball came flying out. It hit them in the head because it attaches to their head, bores into their head, and then they jitter around for a bit, and then their head explodes. I mean, this is what Golden Eye's missing. Fundamentally, out of the two games. This is what GoldenEye is missing, is that fun element. You know, we'll go into it in graphics, but obviously being able to chop off limbs, you know, to the gore, the, you know, darts sticking in people, that's what's missing from GoldenEye. But that being said, that gameplay element comes down mainly to the enjoyability of that game. And with these controls... For seeds of evil being what they are, and if and if they had just gone down that route that Rare did, if they had just gone down away from that PC gamer element and went more with a, uh, a more with a, um, a a console based element, with you know being able to stop and aim, if they had done that, it would have won this Jinjo. It would have. But it hasn't. Gameplay goes to, even with the cerebral ball being there, the gameplay Jinjo goes to Goldeneye. Now, as I said, don't get me wrong. It it's not that moment of that I'm shooting this down. It is still a great, enjoyable game. However, yeah, it. You can't put it past it, and we'll come on to critics later, but it's not just me saying this, and I'm sure you're nodding in agreement. Turok 2 is a great game. However, that controller element lets it down. So, ladies and gents, it is one Jinjo apiece. 
and I, I promise, I promise, I look at this objectively. I don't do this for dramatic suspense. One day, there will be a game when we do Battle for Jinjos that will run away with this 5-0. I know it's going to happen. We might get close without any spoilers with this one. Um, however, there is, you know, there's definitely going to be a game that runs out there. So we come on to graphics and sound. Now, with graphics and sound for both of these games, they are immense. And I mean that. They're both immense. We've already gone through how, you know, Goldeneye made you feel like you were really part of that game. Um, and the sound quality on both are equally great. And if we go into 2 about 2 Seeds of Evil, you know, with the sound, it was definitely an improvement to its predecessor. It was definitely an improvement, you know, to actually have music in it full stop um and actually if you look at the graphics element they were given the opportunity iguana entertainment were given the opportunity to have a sneak peek at that expansion pack and that was the real game changer behind this game was that expansion pack meant that they could pack so much detail into this game and originally they announced that it was only going to be on a 12 megabyte cartridge which was, it, it, they showcased it, and the, the critics at the time didn't understand quite understand how they were going to put it on one cartridge. And it actually ended up being on a 32-bit cartridge in the end. Now, the major problem that you had with this element of detail so early on, because, yeah, the expansion pack, you're looking, that was a couple years away, really, from being a thing with Donkey Kong 64. And uh, other games like Rogue Squadron and games that really took it on was the lag in it was incredible. And I mean, like if you go back and play this, you know, not on the remastered Switch versions, but you go back, spend a good £90 on a N64, you come and join our world. The lag in this can be bad to the point of that you just need to put your blades on and just start swiping. Because if an enemy gets close to you, yeah, good luck with the controls and that lag to uh, really, you know, be able to get in there and destroy what you needed to. Now, there was an option to be able to downgrade it, but with that downgrade, it was noticeably different. And it, it, yes, it made use of that expansion pack, but would you take the lag for for you know the down quality in your game i i don't think you would and if it happened nowadays that you had to compensate either gameplay or um that element of graphics you'd never want to make that you know it, there are beautiful games out there on the uh, n64 that you, you you know you can giggle at the graphics but they're still beautiful games such as pilot wing 64 a game that i've been playing recently that graphically is dated but the gameplay it's the most relaxing game you'll ever play we'll come on to that later anyway but it is that element you don't want to take the hit on the gameplay over the graphics or vice versa it should be an overall game experience and if we're looking at, let's say, Goldeneye, Goldeneye didn't need an expansion pack. Obviously, its successor would. Um, but you're looking at the imagery on people's faces. They got Sean Bean's face. So he dies in every movie. You can see Sean 
as Sean Bean die for real in a computer game as well. I mean, the likenesses, you know, even the detail on the different soldiers having different faces from that one that looked like Cletus. Uh, you know the one, if you remember the face, the teeth, the buck teeth, the one that looked like Cletus uh, from uh, Simpsons. I mean, the, the, the level of detail was fantastic. Now, also with GoldenEye as well, and and Turok, the movement of those graphics in those characters you were facing off against. Now, obviously, it looked natural, and that that's that's brilliant in a game. If that was a dinosaur, or if that was one of dinosaur hybrids, or in James Bond, where you know in GoldenEye, where if you shot someone in the leg, they reacted to their leg. If you shot someone, shot one in the hand, they reacted as if they'd been shot in the hand. If you shot them in the head they would go numb, drop to their knees, and drop to the floor. You know, it, it th- to have that level of detail in both of these and have that interactive feel to it was... They're both great games in that element. Um, now, sounds with Goldeneye, I would say the sound in both are great, but Goldeneye pips it with sound for me. Now, that music in every level, every level's music felt... Again, we come back to cinematic. It felt like you were in the movie. They all had that base of the Bond theme behind it, but every level was different. Even when you went back to Surface and the bunker, they were different. And in fact, they heightened it in Surface 2 and Bunker 2 that you felt there was more urgency. You felt when you were coming through Surface um, on uh, on uh, Surface 2, you felt more urgency than Surface 1. Surface 1, it was daytime, you know, it was there was a little, a little less fog of war that you could see into the distance, where Surface 2, the music went up, the game fog went up, and it felt like you were there on your own somewhere that you really shouldn't be. Um, and the sounds in it, like the distance. So we come back to Surface again, that people can shoot at you from a distance. And you can hear that in the distance. You know, that element of being able to make it sound like a whole movie atmosphere that if somebody's shooting you from a distance, it sounds further away. You know, it, you have that overall arc of feeling part of that game. To the bullet shots, uh, ricocheting off of glass, um, to alarms, to exploding chairs. You, you've got everything in there that you know really immerses you into that game now we could go into a full story of development hell and i will i promise i will we will go into development hell in the way of um some of these games of and two up two uh seeds of evil we will revisit this down the line but the element of actually having to choose between graphics and gameplay that is huge and yes, you have. We all have the argument of that it was really one of those first games that used the expansion pack. But Iguana Entertainment went all in, and it did not get the result that they needed. So on that, Goldeneye wins the Jinjo for graphics and sound, and we continue on that with the critics because the critics very much felt everything we said about Turok 2 
So we come on to the critic score. And Turok 2 was baffled. From day one, they didn't know how they could fit this one game onto one cartridge. It had to take a 32-megabit cartridge to be able to support it. If you're looking at afterwards, after release, those things that were brought up on this podcast, the controls, and I, I still think that it was more catered to that PC market than it was a console market. I don't think Agrana really noticed what they had, and they still didn't. If you look at South Park, another game that we'll go on to, they didn't learn their lessons. They didn't. So if you look at what the critics are saying about both, they relate to everything that we've been saying and we've been thinking. So GoldenEye originally was the critics were like, ah, an IP that's two years old. And then it was launched. Now, it was showcased and it didn't really get much attention randomly. However, after launch, it went ape <laughs> Only the second swear in this podcast. I'm quite proud of myself. But it went ape <laughs> And if you look at that element of volume sold that we'll go on to in a minute as well as what the critics were saying the critics were praising it then they knew it was groundbreaking they knew it was not just in that multiplayer element because Turok they they squeezed in that multiplayer element um they had to take away all sound uh, all music from that multiplayer element but they squeezed it in but multiplayer on GoldenEye single player on GoldenEye were fair to say faultless. Now, if we go into units sold, Seeds of Evil sold a healthy 1.4 million. And I say healthy, this is a game that came out a year and a bit after um, after GoldenEye. Now, GoldenEye, we've already done the second highest selling N64 game which was Mario Kart. The third highest N64 game was GoldenEye at 8 million. 8 million, over 8 million copies sold. Which, for a third part, for Nintendo games at that point, to not ha- to have someone in that top three well, that was not coming out of that Nintendo studio is humongous. 8 million copies worldwide. I mean, everybody of that generation, if you had an N64 or didn't, everyone has a memory of GoldenEye. Not everyone will know what a cerebral bore is. They should, but they don't. And that very much comes into who's going to win the Jinjo for the critic score. Now... I've gone on Meta, so I'm going to go on uh, Metacritic now, because Metacritic takes into a general account, but I have checked off of IGN as well, just to make sure that it is still the same. And we come on to the Metacritic scores. Seeds of Evil scored a healthy, if you look at last time around, a healthy 86%. Goldeneye... 96 critics scoring something that high 
and I, I need to investigate, but I believe that is the highest rating we will see on N64 Life. It's going to be the highest rating. So the Jinjo goes, and obviously you can do your maths, but now it's 3-1 GoldenEye. The Jinjo goes to GoldenEye. And a good critic knows what its audience are thinking as well. Because we've had it from, you know, you look at, let's say, what the critics were saying about Mario Kart 64, and there are some of the problems that I had with it. Obviously, as I've said, it's, I've grown to love it. It's lovely going back to revisit something and loving it a bit more. Um, but the critics were very much in the opinion of everyone else. And if when I asked people about Go uh, Seeds of Evil or GoldenEye, guess which one they wanted to talk about? Guess which one they really wanted to chat about? So let's go on to your comments. So we start off with Gaff Butler as well, man from up north. Surely this one has to be GoldenEye. Iconic N64 title. Paved the way for uh, so many other shooters. Loved the train mission. I'm in agreement. Where, <laughs> where you had to use your watch laser to escape through the floor in the hatch. I still think that watch laser should have been really a weapon. I'm still putting it out there. Uh, and then we've got Chad Terrier. Defo GE, much uh, much more focused. Two Rock Two was uh, meandering, exactly very meandering. Sorry, apologies. It was it was meander, meander, Oh God, I can't even say it now. Meandering. It it was. I've already brought that up. Is you could feel lost. Two Rock had the better guns though. Again, we're in agreement. I made these notes before. I make my notes uh, to break the fourth wall. I do make my notes uh, about Saturday or Sunday. And then I come back to them and critique them. So I almost run them through my head again. And it was funny to read back to you guys tweeting about this again. God, I'm glad everyone else is in agreement because I was a bit worried last time around. Because guess what? We weren't in agreement, were we? But yet again, love it. Differing points of view. No one turned around to me and said, come on, Diddy Kong Race is not as good as Mario Kart 64. But I think that's because I did tell you I loved it. So we come on to the next comment, and that's from Yannick. Hello, Yannick. The curator of the WR... Uh, sorry, not WRW Pods. No, me and Toby are the creator of that. The VBW Library. Hello, Yannick. Goldeneye, definitely. To the point. Love it. Um, and then we come on to some that was sent through just before recording, and that is Mr. Motingley, the one that has set me my next Twitch mission, which we'll go through again at the end of the podcast. Um, I can remember playing Turok 2 with a friend. I think that was Real Reed. I might be wrong, Dan. Uh, and for some reason, all of the voiceover stuff was in German. <laughs> I think it was. Do you know what? I remember this as well. It'd be great because obviously me and Dan have been friends since we're four years old. I remember somebody had a copy in German. I remember this. It made it all already fun, uh, pretty far out game uh, even weirder. Uh, Cerebral Boar, there you go, bring it up again, was pretty sick and an uh, in, uh, inventive gadget. Um, he also comments about GoldenEye. As for GoldenEye, and I believe you were the first person I remember owning this game, Dan, 
Um, as for GoldenEye, it may seem a bit simplistic now. It was a big step at the time. A mixture of shoot 'em up action, uh, shoot 'em up action plus mission objectives made single player more immersive, and the multiplayer mode was responsible for many a sibling argument in my household between 1998 and 2002. I think it was also a lot of arguments between us as well, dude. Um, another friend that I've had for many years as well and big supporter of WRW Pod from the start, Lee Stewart. Lovely to see you on this channel as well. I remember the amount of times trying to speedrun the facility level on GoldenEye to get under two minutes, five seconds. Wow. Oh, I'm going to have to... When all this is over, my friend, you are getting an invite over and you are going to attempt on Twitch one evening to reenact that. Put it out there, my friend. Rambo, it's about 90 quid to go and buy yourself a lovely N64. Go and invest in it. Go and get training again, mate, because we're going to see this at some point. <laughs> but no, thank you so much for all your comments and so much for all your votes. We... um. 14 votes on the Twitter poll. Um, and it's fair to say that, as I said, people have those memories of GoldenEye. Not, as we said, over 8 million copies sold. 1.4 million copies sold of Seeds of Evil. One in German to, to, to someone we can't remember. I think it was Will. I swear it was Will. Um, but we come on to who got your Jinjo. And the Jinjo goes to with a whopping 93% GoldenEye. So, ladies and gentlemen, the Battle of Jinjos, GoldenEye versus Turok 2, Seeds of Evil, goes to Bond. James. Oh, there's a chair exploding over there. Bond. So, last time around, so, really, going back, well done, GoldenEye. I, I, th <laughs> I, I've got to admit, I knew that Diddy Kong Racing and uh, Mario Kart 64 would be tight. As soon as I set this mission, I went... Well, I know who's running away with this one. <laughs> I was actually more confident Mario Kart would last time around, but yeah, it was it was it was on the cards from the start, wasn't it? Um, and I'm in total agreement. Uh, GoldenEye is the winner, um, even though don't put it. You know, Two Rock Two is still a great game. As I said last time around, you need both of these games for your game library. As I said, go and buy yourself an N64. They're about £80. If I remember rightly, I got my copy of Two Up Two Seeds of Evil um, when I started collecting again during the lockdown or just after we were ventured out into the sunlight. I got it for about a fiver. Goldeneye, I think, still goes for only about 15 quid. So go and check it out. And if you can't get to a retro video game shop, you know, CX, they do home delivery. So I've just had five games delivered to me this morning. No joke. I've just had uh, F0X, um, Blast Corpse, um, uh, Pilot Wings that came. No, no, Pilot Wings was separate. Um, I had F0X come to me this morning. And uh, I can't remember the other uh, one. Oh, Command and Conquer and 
this week's Twitch mission. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. That was only two quid. I don't mind spending two quid. <laughs> mission impossible. Um, go and, you know, this whole world of retro gamers, you know, uh, now, there, and then 64. Uh, go and follow them on Twitch at now and then 64. God, I can't even say 64 now. Um, we were saying, the more the merrier. The more Twitch streamers, the more podcasts. Because he was saying last night, there's only us and one other out there. So it's just me and one other bloke. So hi, everyone, one other bloke. The more podcasts we get, the better this wo- the retro gaming industry will be. So last time around, we did a then and where are they now section. Um, with the there are they now section, I think that if I cover this now, I'm going to destroy other podcasts and you're going to go cliff you repeating yourself. Obviously, we know with GoldenEye, it had its successor, which was Perfect Dark, which I, I'm not going to say much more because, I, yeah, that needs a whole podcast to itself, Perfect Dark. Uh, yeah, brilliant game. Uh, if we're looking at what happened after that... We yet again we come on to that podcast that's coming. What happened to Rare? What happened in their rise and fall on Nintendo? What happened? It's gonna have a whole podcast dedicated to itself. With Turok, we saw its uh, we saw its successor come out, which was um, uh, Turok Free, um, and then we saw a Turok game come out for the um, Xbox um, 360 as well. Um, we. With Turok 3, that will crop up later on down the path line. But, you know, if you're looking at, yet again, uh, both of these games after the N64 era took a massive nosedive. In my opinion, both of them took a massive nosedive. If that's Turok or GoldenEye, obviously we we saw GoldenEye Reloaded uh, come out as well. Um, Or the evil GoldenEye one, which I can't remember the name of now. But none of them hit the heights that they did in the past. Um, But I'm an N64-centric podcast. I will leave that to other podcasts to go through. But GoldenEye is your victor, ladies and gentlemen. So we come to the end of another N64 life. And it goes without saying of if you haven't already please make sure you go and subscribe to the Twitter at N64Life Podcast. Uh, same on Instagram, Twitch as well. Come and see me. Swear at uh, Mission Impossible. It's going to be fun. Um, obviously as well, thank you so much for those who have already. Yet again, a lovely, healthy, consistent amount of listeners um, but obviously, if you are listening to us on iTunes or you have iTunes, go and give it a like. Go and give it a rating. These were, This is how we're going to expand this. This is how we're going to make it bigger and bigger and bigger. Go and retweet us. We're on 100, over 180 now uh, followers on Twitter. So thank you so much for those who have already joined us. Um, it goes without saying, you know... It is, I'm so thankful for every single one of you for doing that. So what are we doing next week? Something different. I have a guest. And that gentleman is Mr. Ross from way up in Glasgow. We are going to be going through football games for the N64. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, an overall 
melee into the world of football games for the N64. There were several that came out, but we'll be very much concentrating on... uh, Because we don't want to just do this over one podcast. He's hopefully going to come back on for others, and we'll get other uh, uh, football-related podcasts out there. But we'll be concentrating on uh, World Cup 98, which was a great game, but I'm sure we'll be dipping into the... uh, In our conversations... Uh, to the other football games that came out for the N64. Um, so go and make sure you subscribe. Obviously out next Thursday at 6.30, so make sure you get a listening to that. Remember, I will be on Twitch during the week, definitely on Friday evening, where we will be playing Mission Impossible. <laughs> I don't want to do it. Um, also, if you do have any suggestions for Battle for Jinjos, uh, uh, Developmental, um, if if you're looking at any, if you want to be a part of a podcast uh, specific to a certain game or genre, please come and let me know. Send me an email, n64life at gmail.com. But ladies and gentlemen, that's been it. N64 life. Uh, the winner for the Battle for Gingos today was Goldeneye. Hope you all have a pleasant week and I'll catch you soon. <laughs>